to another episode of Paranormal, The New Normal. I am your host as always, Jeremy, trying to bring a little normalcy to this world, which these days doesn't happen. But that's not that's not important right now, because my guest tonight, this, this is my second guest from the small town monsters world. We've already had Mark Matsky on a couple months ago, and now I am proud to have on Alexander Petikoff. Alex, how are you doing tonight? Good, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's my pleasure. Any, any small town monsters member I can get, I'll gladly have on my show. I am a huge fan of STM. Thank and you. Yeah, I've, I've heard your name mentioned many times in Monsteropolis. So, <laughs> yeah, those guys they like to uh, go over a lot of the projects, and obviously, there's a lot going on. So, I can imagine uh, they probably have mentioned me a few times here and there. Oh yeah, you guys are always busy especially the last few years it's just been like non-stop like covid didn't even really slow you guys down too much so nope we kept going you know and was the nice thing about a lot of the topics we cover you know you're kind of in the middle of the woods with not a lot of people or you're social distancing or whatever you're camping so it's a little easy to get together with people when you don't really have to be in a small space with them which is nice exactly i was, I was actually gonna i was gonna say that it's pretty easy when you're in the woods but <laughs> So, first question I ask everybody on this show, what got you into the paranormal? Yeah, so I'd say uh, when I was younger, specifically cryptozoology was something that interested me. Uh, so, essentially, I was told the story of the Yeti when I was a kid by my dad and kind of explained the whole story and gave me this figurine, which had uh, it was a shadow box that had a little scroll on it that had the whole kind of story of you know, the, the Himalayan Yeti sort of story. And I was a ski trip at the time I'm on a ski trip and it just kind of resonated with me. I really just something clicked. So I started watching a lot of documentaries when I was younger about Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Loch Ness Monster, all these sort of cryptid topics. And it basically took off from there. That was really what kickstarted my interest in it. Did a lot of reading on it when I was younger. Then when I was kind of in high school and armchair researcher, there was a lot of the blogs that were kind of becoming a regular thing. So things like Lauren Coleman's Crypto Mundo and a lot of other people that were posting on there, Craig Woolheater and others. That was kind of the best way to find out about what was going on. And I remember certain hoaxes or certain incidents that would take place. That was kind of the best place to find out. This was pre-Facebook, pre YouTube, all the other social media we kind of use nowadays. This was sort of rudimentary. So that really got me into it. And later on, uh, just started decided to look for myself and started doing films about some of these creatures and actually getting out of the field and, and looking for mysteries that are still out there in the world. Exactly. Which, I mean, that right. Like, like I, this actually relates back to how when people always ask me, like, how'd you get to paranormal on other shows? It's always like, well, there was that one book in the elementary school library I went to, and it was on Bigfoot and Yeti and Loch Ness Monster and a few other random cryptids that are were big back then, even. Right. But, but yet, there I didn't hear a dog man until like like ten years ago, maybe. Like it's just yeah, that's pretty it new. Not, it is, which is surprising because there's been sightings for hundreds of years, like like. Well, even even longer than that, really, but hundreds of years they've been documented at least. But yeah, I mean, there's so. stories of werewolves and throughout European folklore and other cultures as well. 
dog-like creatures. And I think a lot of the modern dogman phenomena, at least personally, I think comes from a lot of the internet culture. You have sort of that creepypasta sort of esque uh, internet culture that's really stirred up a lot of interest in some of these topics. I mean, we know that uh, media and social media especially can influence certain topics. And I think the dogman topic definitely has become more prominent partially because of that interest. And maybe, maybe that's brought more sightings to people's awareness as before. And I hear this even with the Bigfoot topic and a lot of people that have had sightings previously, maybe 20, 30 years ago, previous to the internet, you know, if they lived in an area of the country where Bigfoot wasn't really known for, or wasn't familiar, uh, you know, such as the Northeast here where I am or, parts of the Midwest, you know, areas outside the Pacific Northwest, let's say, they thought, well, you know, what did I see? Was it a monster? What, what was going on there? And so uh, it was when the internet came around that I think a lot of people were like, hey, there's actually people who go out and look for these things. I'm not the only one who's seen something weird. I've noticed that with a lot of witnesses and folks I've talked to, that they'll sit on a story for decades because of ridicule and you're dealing with you know, family or friends ridiculing them, becoming the Bigfoot guy at work because they claim they had a sighting. So sometimes they won't even say anything until years later when they realize there's other people on Facebook or elsewhere that have claimed the same kinds of experiences. So I find that interesting. Maybe that's the case with the dog man. I do think there's a certain element of that. Uh, there's a lot of BS online, so to say. So I think that it certainly influences, but that's in the Bigfoot topic as well. It's not immune to it, of course, but uh, it's interesting not. how there's a lot of influences for that sort of thing. But, yeah, it does seem to be growing in popularity, both and all cryptid topics, really. Oh, they are. It's, in, I mean, I belong to, like, at least 25 different paranormal groups on Facebook and whatnot. And th there's this one even big – it's called Bigfoot Believers. And it's, like, people post – people start, like, hate, posting hate speech in there about people who believe in Bigfoot. And it's like, did you literally <laughs> join a group called Bigfoot Believers? just to be a troll like yeah. literally did you is that the reason you joined this group is to be a troll and like and yeah it was a whole thing for a while because the admin wouldn't do anything about it but eventually they started like kicking those people out but there's some crazy stuff online i see a lot of these groups and i don't really engage in a lot of them anymore because i get sick of it because people post the same hoaxes that have been debunked years ago and repost that sort of stuff and i get it there's a lot of people new to the topic that will come in and say oh my god have you seen this todd standing photo you know, those of us that have been in it for a while, this is like 10 years of agony dealing with some of this kind of stuff. And it's, it's like you, you can become jaded pretty quick. Uh, but, you know, I think the best course is just find a group that works for you. Being in so many, you know, I, like like you're with yourself, I've been in a lot of different groups. And, you know, there's different groups. There's groups that, uh, you know, for more lake monster, aquatic cryptid related stuff, lake monstrosities. There's a, a Scott Martis, who was a great lake monster researcher prior to his passing. Last year had a great group, Zombie Plesiosaur. There was all sort of random discussion about lake and aquatic cryptids around the world, mostly, you know, Plesiosaur-like things, so Nessie Champ. Yeah. There's groups for, you know, certainly there's Dogman groups. I'm not really huge on that topic, so I don't know a lot about the groups, but obviously there's a million Bigfoot groups. There's the Lake well, Champlain groups. There's all sorts of different cryptid groups within that, and then you got the general cryptozoology groups, so... There's a lot. There's definitely a lot out there. Well, I mean, it's okay you're not a big in Dogman because I'll save that for my guest tomorrow night who is actually from the North American Dogman Project. Uh, yeah. So I'm sure tomorrow night will be a discussion filled with Dogman. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. There's there's plenty of other topics we can cover. Yeah, but... I mean, I know some of the crew, STM crew currently right now is down in Texas filming a Texas Dogman Triangle documentary. 
So there is yeah. some stuff with you know, American Werewolves. I just personally look more into the Bigfoot stuff. That's sort of what I do with STM as well. Um, I haven't had a whole lot of interest in the Dogman topic. I haven't ex- had a lot of exposure to it. I maybe know a couple people who have claimed to have had an experience. Um, so not just not something I really gravitated towards. I mean, if I had an experience, I'd probably change that. But I don't really know how I feel about that topic yet. But yeah, we'll we'll, we'll save that one for another time, maybe. Well, yeah, we can move on from that. But let me ask you one question first. Sure. How often do you think Dogman sightings are just really Bigfoot that are mistaken for something else? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I, I was talking to somebody about this fairly recently, um, that it seems like I've heard this kind of theory postulated that all Dogman sightings are just people misidentifying either a bear or a Sasquatch. So, so they're, they're seeing a Dogman, but they're saying... They're saying they saw a dogman, but it's actually a Sasquatch. I find that a little weird. I mean, I can't imagine there's, based on hundreds of other eyewitness encounters with Sasquatch, the physiognomy and everything seems to be more either ape or primitive human-like, you know, ex- you know, accentuated features. So like Neanderthals and other near-human sort of primates, yeah. and then obviously more on the ape side. So I, I haven't heard a whole lot of reports where there's pronounced snouts there's one report of a guy i know here from new hampshire where i'm from of a he said that he saw a sasquatch scratching its back up against a tree uh, and it he described it as almost having a snout like face and i thought okay well maybe was it a bear and he was adamant you know and then saying no well it had a charcoal black skin and absolutely red fur and it was standing on two legs and doing its thing and walked away on two legs i thought that was really interesting and i said well i mean was it what dogman type thing? And he said, no, no, it was a Sasquatch. That's one of the only reports really I know that's sort of in that, in that gray zone. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there is a percentage of probably reports that maybe a small percentage of people that see a Sasquatch and think it's a dogman. I mean, maybe if you don't get a good look at it, I would be more willing to believe that there's maybe somebody seeing a bear and thinking it's a dogman, but that would have to be from such a, distance or distortion or somebody that's literally from the middle of a city that's maybe never seen a bear and would they have dogmen on their mind you know they probably would think bear first so that's a good question i don't really know the answer to that but i can imagine there's there's a certain degree but i don't think the dogman stuff what's so interesting about it is it seems like it has more of a metaphysical kind of characteristic at least than even the sasquatch topic which you know some people obviously will say well sasquatch is also paranormal or whatever Maybe that's the case. I don't know. I lean more towards the flesh and blood hypothesis, uh, especially a lot of the science kind of that's currently out there lends credence to the possibility of some sort of a primate. I mean, a lot of the behaviors reported with Sasquatch and that have been observed by eyewitnesses and researchers speak more towards that ape side. So Dogman, obviously, I have a hard time believing that there's an upright canine undiscovered creature that walks on two legs that just seems kind of preposterous uh it seems to be more steeped in a lot of kind of occultism and more weird freaky stuff i mean i even heard uh seth telling me about when they did the beast of bray road you know there's allegations that the townspeople and even police officers were involved in some kind of occult rituals and weird sort of spooky you know (laughs) kind of x-files type ritual stuff so maybe you know that's what dogman is a result of i really don't know I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, BS with that topic online, but there's certainly people who have had cre- credible experiences, so I can't can't deny that. But um, 
I don't think all dogman sightings are just misidentified Bigfoots. That I think that's that's that would be a stretch for sure. Yeah, which it's actually funny because I saw on on Facebook today someone posted in one of the groups I'm in like, what if there is actually like a baboon version of a Sasquatch that we don't know about that, and that's what people are seeing when they see like a dogman is like a baboon version of a Sasquatch. Yeah, I've heard that too, and I just doesn't seem to make sense to me. I think, you know, again, it'd be a minority of reports that that this one guy I know, you know, that's the only really report I know where there's more of a snout like feature. I mean, there's some reports are a little bit longer kind of head, but not, you know, it looks distinctly either described as human like or primate like, you know, with either pretty wide nose, you're just a big, big face in general, but much more along that ape human kind of line than, than dog like. Baboons obviously have an ape-like face, but with that little bit of a pronounced kind of snout. So yeah. I find it would be, maybe it's, it's some kind of genetic anomaly. I don't really know, but from the majority of reports, it seems to be much more in line with you know, a variety of different types of faces and, and genetical kind of, or genetic kind of features that these things seem to have, at least again, based on just eyewitness sightings, which is only anecdotal evidence and, um, you know, but I've heard the gamut of people describing it from being very ape-like to very human-like. So uh, more kind of yeah. along that spectrum. I mean, I've had, I've had one, I had one guest on here, uh, Christopher Susi, and he was in the army for a lot of his experiences. He had, he actually saw the devil three times. It was a re- it's a very interesting episode. But, <laughs> but when he was in the army, one of his uh, troop mates, they were in Egypt and they passed a statue of Anubis. And his mate said to him, he's like, like he started freaking out. He's like, what's that? And like, and like, they're like, that's an ancient Egyptian God called Anubis. And he's like, I've seen that same exact thing in my backyard twice when I was a kid in New Orleans. Hmm. Oh yeah. Land of the Rougarou. Exactly. <laughs> it's another so, one of those stories. I've heard that description actually from somebody who's a retired park ranger in California claiming on a night hike to have run, ran into something that looked like Anubis. It's not the first time I've heard that description. Uh, and I've heard it from others as well. I uh, can't remember the sources, just, you know, people talking online about Which, certain things. But that is absolutely uh, the only one that I know of. You know, so this person is a former park ranger who's involved in Bigfoot research, but uh, claimed to have this really weird experience with an Anubis looking creature while hiking. It was kind of a bit of a freaky encounter. I don't recall the details exactly, but that that's interesting. You mentioned that Anubis kind of description. Yeah, which I mean. That, that threw me for a span too when I first heard it. I'm like, well, now that I think about it, it makes sense actually because freaky dog like human like thing. I mean, I just pictured I mean, the Anubis from the Mummy Returns when they're battling the army of Anubis kind of characters. That's what I picture. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, they they just did it too in Moon Knight. They just did Anubis again in Moon Knight, but it, and I see, which makes me think like if Dogman. What if Dog Man have been around since the beginning of time, just like Sasquatch? And what if they just either they lived, they evolved on Earth, and they just hid very well, better than Sasquatch did, or, or possibly, what if they're extraterrestrial in origin, and that's why you don't see them as often as you see Bigfoot? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, I, I go back to what I said earlier. I just I would have a really hard time believing there's an undiscovered biological flesh and blood 
upright canine creature. I mean, there's no precedent for it in the natural kingdom, really. Whereas, obviously, as I was saying with Sasquatch, there there is a biological precedent for upright hairy hominids. I mean, we are we are one of those as well, even though we're not maybe as hairy as what Sasquatch has reported. Some of us more than others. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I was just gonna say that, but <laughs> I mean, if you ask my wife, she'll she'll tell you I'm as hairy as a scratch. But. but all right. Well, the second question I ask everybody in the show is, have you had any experiences yourself of any kind in the paranormal supernatural world? Yeah, I mean, I've had some experiences that I that are weird. I can't be certain of what they are exactly. I've never seen a Sasquatch, uh, but we've had some weird experiences, especially being in on the trail. Some of the places we go to are pretty remote and known for alleged Bigfoot activity. Um, now, you know, we, we try really hard to work down to the Bigfoot sort of a hypothesis. So, you know, the idea is, let's say you have an experience, unless you see a Sasquatch, obviously then you're probably still going to be questioning yourself, especially as a researcher. I'm not going to be able to trust myself to not be projecting this or whatever. I'm going to try and get somebody to help me kind of analyze that and figure out what I actually saw. But what I mean by that is working down to Sasquatch is that's the last sort of thing that I expect to encounter because you're out in the woods. Most of the time, either nothing happens or most of what you encounter are, known animals doing weird things. I mean, animals can do a lot of strange things. They can make a lot of weird noises. You ever heard a screech owl at night in the woods? It is terrifying. And, you know, even barred owls can make that sort of whooping sound. So I think, uh, or like a woo, you know, they don't really have a P at the end, but um, it's, it's, you know, it goes to say that I think you should, if you have a strange experience that you're not certain of, you should work your way down to Sasquatch. You eliminate the other candidates first and if you're able to then that's great because you can have some closure but we've had some few experiences that are kind of weird you know rocks being thrown things uh you know the wood knocks of course which are yeah kind of typically associated with sasquatch for whatever reason um you know there's people it's just really weird it's kind of intangible it's hard to explain but you know you're out in the woods and you have something kind of walking around your camp and you're hearing these loud knocks and power knocks i've heard that quite a few times in areas that I that are possible for Sasquatch to either be traversing through or residing in, um, some weirder than others. You know, we've I've heard whoop-like sounds that, uh, upon spectral you know, spectrogram analysis, will fall at a very kind of low decibel level, which is you know, lower than something like an owl, smaller. You know, getting to the lower ranges of human ability even. Um, so I've never really seen a Sasquatch. I've just had a lot of those weird experiences with either wood knocking or you're hearing something moving around in the brush. We've experienced, like I said, rock throws right after hearing wood knocks and hearing yeah. rocks being thrown, hitting other rocks and smashing into the water. Uh, just weird stuff. I got eight different objects thrown kind of at our tent while we observed it happening and seeing these things coming towards us at a place in Vermont. Um, so there's, there's a few, again, they're just in a sort of a, a experiences i can't say 100 percent, but they're they're weird you know because it's either i don't know how else to explain it or there's people messing with us in areas where there really shouldn't be anybody else and, you know we've, we've run into a fair share of weird people out there in the woods you know and the last thing i'd imagine them to do is act like bigfoot like uh, you know especially people are armed it's not a good thing to mess with people out in the middle of nowhere so yeah they, they go into a, a basket of handful of potential weird experiences um i mean i can i can go into any sort of specifics if you'd like but that's on the bigfoot side of things you know we've experienced uh, quite a few strange things in some of these awesome locations that we've been able to go to yeah which i mean uh it's 
See, I live like well, actually, you said you're from New Hampshire. If you don't yeah. mind me asking, what part like of New Hampshire or what like area of New Hampshire all southern New southern New Hampshire? Because I'm in Gardner, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't uh, disclose exactly where, but uh, you I, know, I, kind of so, so I'll tell you I could tell you after. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I've I've grown up kind of in the area and, and I've I'm in in New Hampshire area and I'm, I'm always up north though, usually in the White Mountains. That's kind of my stomping yeah. grounds. I've hiked a lot up there. Coaz County is great. Um, I've been into central Massachusetts as well. I've been out to western Massachusetts. Um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of good spots for sure. Oh, I mean, yeah, because we I live like a half like not a half hour, like 15 minutes away from Lemonster State Forest. Oh which yeah, is supposed, which is supposedly a big Sasquatch area. I've been out there as well. There's some cool cliffs. Yeah, there used to be a UFO conference in Lemonster. I used to go to. Uh, from like 2016 on to I think 2019 was the last one before COVID. And then they kind of have stopped doing it. But, um, you know, there's there's obviously a lot of Bigfoot sort of lore in that area, the Monsterland sort of moniker that the part of the forest there has. Uh, you know, there's just central Massachusetts conjoins basically to southern New Hampshire. It's all just woods, a lot of rural, oh, yeah. smaller rural communities. I've had reports from basically both sides of the border and I've I've looked into cases you know, I've had a uh, you know areas that I've been interested in had weird things happen that are virtually on the border with Massachusetts, because you know you go over the border and there's nothing but j- just the same type of woods. So there's no it is, there's it no is. difference between the terrain really. And it's it's interesting because I swear to God, one night I went I looked at my back kitchen window and by the tr- by the kids trampoline in the backyard, I could have swore I saw like a upright figure standing there, mm. but. I, I, and it was rain that night, pouring. And I, I went out the next morning, and I like looked around back there, and I took the dogs out, and I'm like, looking for footprints. Something like, please tell me, yeah. please tell me, please tell me. If it is, I'm getting <laughs> fucking camera. If it is, I'm getting goddamn cameras put in my backyard. But, right, right, right. But I couldn't find any proof of it, so I was like, all right, I ain't wasting my money. But <laughs> I, it could have been my mind playing tricks on me because I'm always looking for something. But, but yeah. Gardner's actually Gardner's actually a big UFO town. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with Gardner itself. I mean, I like I said, I just know Lemonster mostly from, um, you know, the UFO conference. But uh, yeah, I know Massachusetts has a lot of UFO reports as well. Obviously, New Hampshire is known for some UFO activity and Betty Barney Hill abduction, the Exeter UFO incident. Um, I'm not huge in the UFO topic, but I have had some weird experiences with UFOs that it's kind of drawn me more into that direction, even though... It's something I've not really looked at as much in the past. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting. You look for one thing and another thing ends up happening. It's kind of weird. Well, it's it's weird because, I mean, there's the whole theory. Well, not the whole theory. I mean, the whole instances where people see a Sasquatch and then shortly after they see a UFO like very nearby. Which, yeah, I've, I've heard some of those stories as well, and it seems to happen in certain areas over others. Um, but I don't know. I mean, a lot of people nowadays like the theory that everything, all paranormal, encrypted things are sort of connected. Whether or not that's true or not, I think is is yet to be seen. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, I just know from you know my Bigfoot research, I think in the past, uh, a lot of folks that have researched Bigfoot or UFOs or some of these topics, they'll actually disregard the other topics. Um, so I, I've heard this in the past from Bigfooters who, you know, they, if there were any weirder elements reported in that report, they would sort of cast it to the side or, or not or negate that detail, which I think is wrong. And I would actually hear from the past as well, 
MUFON investigators, UFO investigators, we're talking like 70s and 80s before there was any Bigfoot sort of stuff going on. I mean, Stan Gordon, some of those guys in Pennsylvania, they were all MUFON people. And I've heard of other places as well here in New Hampshire, too. MUFON investigators that were the primary investigators to take Bigfoot cases and, uh, you know, even downplaying some of the Bigfoot stuff, saying, oh, there's no really chance it could be real because it's a weird thing that happens and it gets sent to somebody who investigates another weird topic. But, you know, somebody who's very into the UFO topic might not at all be versed in Bigfoot. So something they may write off wholeheartedly as being a hoax or being just someone's imagination may actually be, a, you know, a good piece of information from an eyewitness. But because they're not versed in that, I find that interesting. So for my personal research, I I don't try to you know negate or downplay anybody's weirder kind of experiences that they have. But what I have noticed is a, a majority of reports of Bigfoot that I've looked into, for example, there are no weirder elements. Um, we're talking 75% plus higher than that, um, where the Bigfoot, you know, they're either seeing it walk away, it's running, it's doing something physical that seems to be interacting with the environment. There's no orbs or weird things disappearing, flashing lights or UFOs. There are, like I said, a minority of reports that I've looked into that that have some of those details, but the majority seem to be showing that Sasquatch is acting, at least in that moment, like a physical being that's interacting with an environment uh, as any other, as a human being would or any other creature would. So I do find that kind of interesting. But if somebody has weirder details, you know, I have quite a few folks I've talked to that I deem credible that have experienced weird things. I mean, even had a, an investigation we did in Florida where, you know, my buddy Tate Hieronymus experienced seeing a weird blue orb in an area after we'd been hearing wood knocks that night. Um, him and a couple other guys saw that and he's, you know, complete flesh and blood, doesn't really look into anything paranormal. Um, so it's interesting, you know, I don't know what exactly what to make of it. I think it's entirely possible. There's multiple things going on at once. I mean, you may have more than one ph phenomena going on when you're out in the woods. It doesn't have to be limited to one. I mean, are they connected? Maybe they are in some instances. I, I really don't know. I don't know how to quantify that or, or, or figure that out, but you know, it's possible you, you go looking for Bigfoot and you run into something else instead. I mean, I've had instances where, you know, in an area in Pennsylvania where I saw, you know, kind of crazy looking UFO and, and by true definition of the word, unidentified flying object. I know a lot of people are gravitating more towards the word UAP now and some of the other terms, but, you know, we were out there, it was an area with high strangeness. I was with some UFO people, some folks that are more into ghosts and they were all kind of doing their own thing. And I didn't really care about that stuff. I almost at the time kind of rolled my eyes at it, to be honest. And I was sort of focused more on the Bigfoot stuff. Uh, but that evening, you know, we were out doing an investigation. I happened to, we all saw, you know, all five or six of us saw this really weird looking craft like an illuminated cloud kind of floating through the air in slow motion, meandering like a leaf kind of in slow motion. If it was just sort of propelling itself, we, we watched that, you know, beautiful starry night, no clouds or anything. And there's, there's smaller orb like lights more defined that would fly out of this thing and back around it and into it. That was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. We managed to get some of it on a night vision camera and, you see these two objects going parallel that eventually become one and then you know, it kind of goes behind the horizon line. So that's something, again, I was looking more for Bigfoot and we ended up having that weird experience, which was weirdest thing I've ever seen. Uh, it's very, very kind of interesting. What I mean, was it secret government technology we don't know about? Maybe. Was it extraterrestrials? I, I, maybe. I don't I really don't know. It's just I know it was a weird thing we saw in the sky and, uh, you know, it kind of 
brought me a little bit more into the UFO topic, a little more interested in it, perhaps. Yeah, which I mean, see, I, I, I had this theory, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if I heard it somewhere or if I just made it by my own head. I honestly can't remember. I've been saying it for so long now, but I have this theory that Earth is a prison planet for extraterrestrials, like some intergalactic UN or whatever you want to call it, a dupe or I mean, pick pick any thing from any show. <laughs> Basically, it's the same thing, but. And I think they put species on Earth who are hazardous to other alien species. So, and I think that's why we see flying saucers so often is I think they're basically the prison guards and the and the cryptids and possibly even humans are the prisoners. Hmm. Which, yeah, I, don't know. I mean, I've, I've had people laugh at that theory. I've, I've had people tell me like, that makes sense, and like it, it goes both ways. But uh, it sounds I, like a good, good sci-fi movie either way, true or not, right? It sounds like a pretty interesting plot. Actually, I know. A, I, I, I just, or I just released an episode today with a filmmaker. I might actually have to hit him up about that. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. I never thought of it as a movie, but yeah. But not I mean, bad, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Know. The whole uh, you see the way the UFO topic is treated now, especially in the mainstream. It's become more mainstream. You've got the government talking about it and obviously, you know, what their motives are with it remains largely to be seen. A lot of folks will say, well, it's just they're kind of acknowledging that these things are out there because they want more funding and to be able to, you know, ramp up kind of stuff like Space Force or whatever. About other people talk about, well, they don't think extraterrestrials are from space at all, that they're actually from all their dimensions. Yeah, I mean, I, it's so hard to quantify or really get to the bottom of anything like that. I mean, will we ever know some of that stuff? Who knows? You know, that's why I'm personally more interested in the cryptids and other, because there are species out there that are still undiscovered in the turn, you know, plenty of creatures and whether or not something like Sasquatch is, you know, just a regular flesh and blood sort of relic hominid or something else, I think is yet to be seen. Uh, The jury is still very much out there. As I mentioned earlier, there's definitely a precedent for a, you know something like a hominid i mean i spent a lot of time in some very remote areas and we've been to some of the most remote corners of north america even the lower 48 you know excluding alaska which is onto a class of its own in canada but some of the areas we've been into i mean are so remote it's really not hard to imagine something especially in smaller numbers being able to easily stay hidden with how humans nowadays are so unaware of their surroundings in the woods and basically uh, you know, we stumble through the woods on trails, yet how far do most people really ever venture off of the trail, even in a yeah, you know, hiking uh, state park or a national park or anything like that? So, um, yep. you know, there's there's still so much space out there. there I, I have no problem personally with something still being able to to evade us. It's just it's easy. Some people do that. I mean, you've got these fugitives and people that they get out in the right areas and they know what they're doing. They can stay hidden for years and not not be detected. It's usually because of their own error that they get detected. Like there was a hermit up in Maine who managed to live out basically in the woods for almost 30 plus years and was really only caught because he was going into a small uh, area to, you know, some houses to steal food every once in a while. He was caught on a security camera. So there's a lot of space out there. I think people underestimate how much is out there. A lot of people now live in suburban or urban areas and, uh, you know, the rural areas are really just Coming more and more desolate in some spots so there's so much space out there yeah there, there really is i mean i drive 
twice a week right now, like into like from where I live in Massachusetts on like the southwest side of New Hampshire border all the way to like the east of New Hampshire, like twice a week. So I drive through back roads in a lot of small rural areas and it's like, and I, all I ever think, I mean, I'm constantly looking in the woods as I'm driving too, because I'm like, you never know. I could see something running through the woods, like, but, and I mean, and Bigfoot is big in New Hampshire. I know that. I know that for a fact. Yeah, there's actually, a good amount of sightings up here. I actually had a uh, paranormal investigator from New Hampshire, um, Justin Elridge, aka Casket. He does. He has a company called Closed Casket Paranormal. Hmm. Don't, don't, not too familiar. I don't. Uh, I don't know a lot of people that are more into the paranormal ghost side of things. Um, I know there's you know a few other Bigfoot people up here, but there's not really a whole lot in New Hampshire, even though there are a number of sightings. I mean, there's BFRO reports, of course, and Crypto Crew and some other groups that have looked into sightings in this area. I've been able to get about 50, a little over 50 reports personally, uh, whether or not I've been doing you know library talks. I'll give talks on Bigfoot in New Hampshire, and I'll always get a few stories after that. I've had people email me. And, and send me messages on YouTube and comments that I'm able to follow up on afterwards about their encounters they've had in New Hampshire, as I focused quite a bit on uh, some of New Hampshire with some of my research. Uh, and certainly, you know, with Bigfoot Beyond the Trail for Small Town Monsters, we've done two kind of investigations and episodes in New Hampshire that both were kind of personal cases that I've looked into. But, you know, with that series, we go all over the country. I mean, California, Alaska, Florida, everywhere in between. But uh, there's definitely a, a place in my heart for the New Hampshire stuff because I think it's one of the most underrated places for Sasquatch sightings. I mean, it's the second most forested state in the country after Maine, which is our neighbor. Uh, yeah. There's a ton of moose up here. So a lot of what I look for in potential Bigfoot habitat is it does it support a large undulate like elk or moose, especially moose. I mean, the largest animal in North America. So if you've got an environment that's healthy enough to support something like a moose, that's pretty impressive. So you know, potentially something like a Sasquatch might be able to exist in those same environments. So New Hampshire is definitely underrated. There's a lot of stories. I mean, for the fifth or sixth smallest state in the country, there's 200 plus reports, you know, some, some of which aren't public on the BFRO and dozens of others from other sources. And I, I've had a number of these settings that I consider credible in my database for the folks that have reported their stuff to me. So there seems to be a lot. I think one of the things that, that, allows that is much of New Hampshire is rural and you have groups of people living in it. So Western, Central, Eastern New Hampshire, basically anything under the White Mountains, you've got decent amount of people. I mean, very small population, I should say, 1.5 million, essentially, um, you know, small state, but it's 89, 90% wooded. And you've got people living out in the sticks, really. And that's the kind of areas where these sightings are happening. There's not, there are not as many sightings in places like the White Mountain National Forest, where you've got hundreds of thousands of acres of pure wilderness. So you need a person to have a Bigfoot sighting. So you could have the hikers usually stick to the trails in the White Mountains. There could be a Sasquatch, you know, in any of those woods out there, no one would ever have any idea if there was no, no one to see them. So uh, the rest of New Hampshire does seem to attract a lot of, um, you know, sightings and activity, some of it certainly legitimate. So, uh, and again, I think it's just that the rural nature of it, having people living in a lot of these rural areas. Yeah, which makes sense. It does. I mean, you like, well, like you said, you need to have a person to have a sighting. But, and I'm sure, I mean, and people, please do not go off the trails when you're hiking unless you really know what you're doing because yeah. you could end up in some bad situations if you don't stay in the trails. Oh, yeah. 
I've seen some, I mean, I, I've hiked all of the New Hampshire 48, 4,000 footers, a lot of the other mountains in the state. And I've seen some horror stories just from people on the trails, very dangerous situations. And um, some of the places we've been into just in other parts of the country, Alaska, California, Utah, just very, very remote places. We're talking places where you could fall off the trail, fall into a ravine and never be seen again. Uh, very serious stuff. So if you're going out in the wilderness, please take the time to prepare, bring, you know, the adequate amount of, uh, you know, things you might need to protect yourself, uh, you know, whether they, those be weapons or uh, that's not limited to that, but of course, you know, water filtration, uh, GPS, depending on how deep you're going in personal or, or PIV personal indicator beacon, that sort of stuff. Just the, the stuff, if you're going on a real hardcore wilderness track, even just with your car, you could be on some back road 20 miles from the nearest uh, flat top pavement and pop a tire and have no cell phone signal for three days. And you get stuck out there even with your car. I mean, it's it can be pretty hairy. And a lot of these unfortunate situations happen because people are not prepared to be out in the woods. And, and I've seen it firsthand. And, you know, I used to be just as dumb with a lot of the things I did in the woods. And you learn over the years. And there's a lot of great sources online, people whether they be hikers or backpackers, hunters, wilderness guides, there's tons of people who have uh, some great stuff to say about keeping yourself safe in the woods. And, you know, whether or not you're, it's animals, of course, that's usually the, something I'm not as concerned about because it takes just preparation to avoid nasty situations with things like bears or mountain lions, which are pretty rare. Those instances are rare, but uh, most of the biggest yeah. threats you'll probably face are due to yourself, due to incompetence, whether it be spraying an ankle in the trail or drinking bad water that you haven't filtered. It's usually the biggest threat is yourself. So if you prepare yourself and you never know what can happen. So it's always good to have a fallback plan and just to really play it safe. Yep. Which I, I agree. And we have a question actually, Texas Wraith Hunters. Do you believe that Bigfoot has the ability to teleport? Uh, I personally don't. Um, I, I know a lot of people like to talk about that or cloaking and some of these other kind of terms that I think have become popular due to some of the online sort of more paranormal portrayals. I mean, maybe they do. I, I don't know. But um, again, I draw back on mostly my experience with this topic, which is largely anecdotal in terms of talking to eyewitnesses and a majority of them report, you know, this thing just walks away or it hides behind a tree or crouches down, gets out of their field of view without disappearing, or I guess teleporting is a different concept entirely. Teleporting is being able to go from point A to point B, you know, in an instant or magically or you know, whatever, you know, through some kind of portal or something, right? Uh, I personally don't really, I haven't seen any evidence for that. I haven't, I've heard a lot of theories about it, but I have not, uh, you know, experience anything to that degree and majority of the eyewitnesses I've talked to. I mean, there's, there's a handful I've talked to that say that this thing just disappeared. I've heard that a few times, but uh, again, that's in that section of minority of reports in terms of people that have actually claimed to have observed Bigfoot. So um, sorry to disappoint, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't believe so. At least in the moment. I mean, I could be proven wrong, of course, but uh, I don't know how we'd go about proving something to teleport or not. And, you know, what laws of physics or, you know, what would be going, what would be going on with that? They could be they, opening a whole new can of worms. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to Bigfoot's being able to teleport or 
all of a sudden cloak themselves, which would make, I mean, honestly, if they could cloak themselves, it would make a lot more sense in the world. But to me, that just, it, when it comes to that, that's that leans on Bigfoot being extraterrestrials in my mind. Because it's just, if if they have these abilities, which no one's been able to prove they do, but if they have these abilities, then they'd have to be extraterrestrial in origin because they'd have to be more intelligent than we give them credit for. And then they'd be more intelligent than humans because we can't do that stuff yet completely. We can cloak ourselves with camouflage, but we, the army supposedly is working on cloaking technology, but I don't think they're anywhere near like perfecting it yet. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a big unknown. It's a really big unknown, and uh, you know, to attribute it to Bigfoot, I think, is a bit of a stretch, just because I just don't think we have the data set to be able to really kind of uh, work out. Like, for example, I mean, and again, we're, to, to re- reiterate my point, we're working with anecdotal data which can be faulty. Not every eyewitness sighting is credible. There are plenty of credible ones, but there are pr- plenty of ones that are not credible in the sense that, you know, they saw something for a split second and they're giving you a ton of details about something that realistically no one would be able to see, but a blur, you know, running into the woods, that could be anything. Uh, so you're dealing with that. But uh, if, for example, the, the reports of rock throwing or people actually physically seeing a Sasquatch throw a rock at this point, we have a lot of those and at least anecdotally. So, you one could speculate, well, maybe Sasquatches throw rocks based off of anecdotal reports, which again, you know, can could be faulty, but that that's a, a reasonable assumption. You know, it's if you see, uh, you know, if, if you observed an animal per, doing a certain behavior, you can make the statement that it engages in that type of behavior. You can reasonably assume that. I'd say, you know, if you were to observe a mountain lion or a chimpanzee doing a certain type of behavior or been reported by folks that have been in the field near these types of creatures, you could speculate, well, yes, this is a, this is a known behavior. So something like rock throwing definitely seems to be more attributed with Bigfoot than, and there seems to be more reports of that than something like teleportation or cloaking, at least to what I'm aware of. So that's just the kind of inference I'm, I'm drawing with that example. Yeah. I mean, the rock throwing thing goes back to even like that, Ape Canyon like incident like I mean it goes back to that even and I've heard stories too on like Monsters Among Us podcasts about truckers telling stories of they heard something like big walking around their truck at night when it was parked on the side of the road and then the next morning and they hear something nail their tr- uh, truck and the next morning they wake up and there's a huge boulder like on the side of their truck basically and there's a dent in the side of their truck from it so I mean it's rock throwing I could believe because apes throw rocks they do so yeah I, I yeah that, I mean, that that is and that kind of goes back to my point about the precedent of you know certain types of behavior so for example we know that apes apes have been observed throwing rocks before known you know other apes great apes like humans you know that would be the chimps gorillas orangutans and i'm not saying that's what a sasquatch is it's clearly more advanced than something like a, a fellow great ape that's a non-human great ape it's clearly something more towards us. I mean, the bipedalism alone would, would have to would indicate it's something much more closely related to us, perhaps. Oh, but I'm not an expert in that kind of stuff. But chimps have been observed throwing rocks at trees and almost, you know, using it as kind of a wood knock type technique. So, so you've had, and this has happened quite a bit in North America with a lot of these strange behaviors that have been reported. I think the smell is another interesting one. You know, a lot of, not all, but some Sasquatch reports indicate smell. You know, obviously in some air, some one could argue maybe in some environments might be a little bit 
smellier in a place like a swamp or down south. Maybe that's why it's the skunk ape. It just picks up yeah. that odor. Maybe that's part of it. But I think honestly, uh, you know, because it, it runs the gamut. You have reports in the Pacific Northwest, from the Northeast, from the Midwest that some reports have a smell. Others do not. So is it that the Sasquatch, you know, took a bath that day or they just, you know, don't smell? Um, or is there another explanation? Well, gorillas can actually control their scent glands when they're angry or agitated. It's like humans, we have BO, or at least a lot of humans do. Um, but yeah, it's as if you imagine you're angry, you can just control your BO and use it as a as a deterrent for a would-be aggressor or something. Maybe that's what's going on in some of these Sasquatch reports. It's just really interesting that you have multiple examples of reported behavior, again, anecdotally from Sasquatch that seem to correspond with actual known ape behaviors, in some cases, even predating us knowing that these are actual ape behaviors that have been observed in gorillas or chimps or orangutans. That to me is pretty interesting. Uh, so it kind of sets the, the groundwork for precedent, you know, and again, I'm not saying Bigfoot is a gorilla or even similar to a gorilla. It's, it seems based on the descriptions to be much uh, different than a gorilla adapted to bipedalism, you know, much more on the, on the, on the hominid side of things, you know, human ancestor kind of uh, adaptations as compared to ground dwelling gorillas and chimps and orangutans were mostly quadrupedal, you know, and live sort of very uh, different kind of lifestyles than something like a Sasquatch at least is reported to. So I don't know. This is just a lot of, a lot of questions and a lot of answers. I mean, yeah. I mean, anything crypto related or paranormal related, we have more questions than we have answers. That's why they're cryptids. That's why they're paranormal subjects because we can't say they're normal subjects yet because we don't know enough about them. Right. And that's the, that's kind of the double edged sword about this subject always is because yeah, we can say we know some stuff, but we really can't say we know anything yet until we, but let me, speculation. let me ask you this people. One of the biggest things people always argue back with when it comes to Bigfoot is where are the bodies of Bigfoot that have died in the past? What are you, what's your answer to that question when people ask it? Well, it's, I think it's a fair question. I think a lot of people get upset by that. Um, but I think it's a fair question. You know, you've got a lot of people that are not, as I mentioned earlier, when I brought up the UFO researcher that might not be versed in Bigfoot stuff, they may just wholeheartedly write off details. Well, they're just not immersed in that topic. Maybe they haven't seen some of the things that a lot of folks involved in the subject kind of convinces them, right? And I think it's a fair question. Where are the bodies? It's, it's plenty reasonable. I mean, you, of course, have tons of stories, anecdotal stories of alleged bodies being found or you know, the Justin Smeha, the alleged killed Bigfoot or other sorts of stories that, again, aren't really that useful because they're just t stories. Maybe they may be tall tales about Bigfoot. But uh, I think the Gigantopithecus is actually a really interesting example when it comes to, uh, you know, where are the Bigfoot bones? Uh, so Gigantopithecus was one of the largest primates to ever exist in history. I'm talking a massive creature. Uh, Dr. Oh, yeah. Grover Krantz was one of the only academics but one of the first academics to really publicly put his name behind the Sasquatch topic, he was the one that sort of thought, well, maybe what's being reported in North America is the descendant of Gigantopithecus from Asia. I think a lot of folks have shifted that and myself included. I don't really look at the Gigantopithecus theory as um, you know what Sasquatch could be personally, but I do think the Gigantopithecus example provides interesting fossil evidence. So the only fossilized evidence we have of Gigantopithecus ever existing 
are some teeth, a few thousand examples of teeth and parts of the jawbone. That's it. For the largest primate that ever existed, that's all we have on the fossil for fossil evidence. I mean, that's pretty, that's kind of crazy if you think about it. You know, where are the Gigantopithecus bones? And those bones are really only preserved because of specific instances. They were found in caves in parts of China and Southeast Asia where porcupines would be chewing on the rest of the bones. And that that's, and you know, because these, these bodies were either brought in there or, uh, you know, the creature died of natural causes, everything else was either chewed up or taken by the porcupine and very specific environment that preserved those teeth and some of those fossils. And uh, the discovery of this was made in Chinese apothecary shops pr prior to the Second World War. You had paleontologists in China going to these shops where they would find dragon bones that they would find in the mountains, grind them up and use them for Chinese medicine. Well, paleontologists found a lot of prehistoric species by looking in these Chinese apothecary shops, again, who they thought they were grinding up dragon bones turning out that it was actually undiscovered species. And that's how Gigantopithecus was discovered, which I think is pretty amazing. So I think that that's a very, you know, somebody asked me, where are the Bigfoot bones? I say, well, where are the Gigantopithecus bones? We have barely anything, no skull, nothing, because the Gigantopithecus lived in environments, bamboo forests, areas that were you know, tropical or subtropical. So very similar environments to where Bigfoot is reported in the United States, which are usually temperate rainforests or deciduous forests that don't, lend very well for fossilization. And then another example would be uh, gorillas and chimpanzees are actually very absent in the fossil record. There's almost no fossil evidence to prove gorillas and chimps ever existed, yet they exist, but what environments do they live in? Again, they're living in these environments that are highly acidic soil content that just bones and fossils do not last. So, um, you know, a lot of people point to, well, you know, no one ever finds dead bear or anything in the woods. And to a degree that, you know, that's right. But I think more, more so something like a primate that's highly intelligent, I don't see why it wouldn't, you know, something Sasquatch-like, why wouldn't it bury its dead or dispose of it? Some people have said, well, maybe they eat their dead. I mean, I don't know. We really have no idea. But I think the the idea of where are the bones, where is the body is, uh, there's, there's other examples that show that that is actually you know, a good question for other species that we know about that existed, yet we barely have anything to prove they exist. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you said it, gorillas, they they were cryptid for originally until eventually they were proven to be real creatures. Because the Africans would say, like, to when, when white colonialists came went down there, they would say, like, there's big hairy men that live in the jungle. <laughs> right. And, and it ended up being gorillas, but... And, I mean, I... I've heard a story years ago on Monsters Among Us as well, where a hunter supposedly years, like 30, 40, 50 years ago, shot a Bigfoot and killed it and buried it himself because he didn't want to get in trouble for killing a creature like that. And when he went back the next day to dig up the grave and take the body, because someone said to him, like, why wouldn't you shed the body? You could prove the real or you could get money for it. The grave was already empty. So that does... Len, like I don't know if that was, I don't know if that was the name you mentioned either. It could have been, but no, just the Justin Smea story. There's a documentary done on that, and I believe he was in uh, one of those DNA study documentaries. He claimed to have killed, uh, you know, presumably a female Sasquatch in the Sierra Nevada mountains, and then shot an infant as well and watched it die. Uh, and a lot of people believe him, some don't. I don't know really what to believe. It's an interesting story, but I have heard stories of Bigfoots allegedly being killed before. Again, usually seems that there's just not much evidence to, to really 
speak for that. I heard of a really interesting story from West Virginia of a hunter on a property who claimed to have shot some sort of smaller Bigfoot like creature and this thing's guardian or parent, whether it was a female one or I don't know, came out and was, you know, very upset and um, he was beside himself that he had killed this thing. And there was kind of this whole sorrow sort of situation. And this basically they had carried this dead Bigfoot away. So the story goes the the mother of this thing had carried it away. And the next day in, in place of where that Bigfoot was killed, a large boulder was put. Um, so I don't know if that means it was buried there or if it was just a, a marker of some kind, but that's, the, that's just a story I was told by somebody who heard that from somebody else. So whether or not that's credible or not, I don't know, but it's an interesting one that I've heard. I've heard other stories like that. And usually that's just what they are. It's just stories, unfortunately, unless we have some other way of proving that. I mean, there's been stories of killed Bigfoots that have turned out to be hoaxes like the infamous 2008 Georgia Bigfoot hoax or the yep. 2012 uh, Rick Dyer, who's also involved in the 2008 hoax, Texas, San Antonio hoax. So where both times claimed that they had shot and killed a Bigfoot and it was just a fake suit, possum guts, or a, you know, custom constructed Bigfoot that they would charge people to go and see at shopping malls and whatever. So kind of con man sort of stuff. But uh, that's why we have to exercise caution when you, a, a, a bold claim like that requires some kind of follow-up evidence or something that can be independently verified instead of just taking the word of somebody that's something as extra extraordinary as saying you killed a Bigfoot. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, not that everyone would want to harm Bigfoot, but if I did accidentally kill one somehow, like hit it with my car or something, I would definitely be bringing the body to some scientist somewhere so we could have proof that they exist and that I could shut all the naysayers up. Like that, that would be my number one goal if it accidentally happened. I'm not, I am not, I don't own any guns. I'm not the person that's to go out there and try to hunt one, but, or hunt anything for that matter. But it just, like, if I could prove they existed, that would be my first goal and only goal is prove they exist. And that way, maybe the government can protect them, which if they, they might already, that's my theory is that the government knows about Sasquatches and protects them to some degree. Because, I mean, I'm sure you've heard these stories too, where during the forest fires out west, a couple of times I've heard the story of a Sasquatch running out of the woods, like pretty much half burnt up. An ambulance actually put it in the an ambulance workers actually put it in the ambulance. They try they like listen to it, try to make try to help it as they could. But then they drive down the road and two black cars pull up and stop them and no one from that ambulance has ever heard from again. Yeah, so, I mean I've heard of stories like that, the helicopters at St. Mount St. Helens and it it becomes a lot like broken telephone. I hear people repeat the story and then other details get added on and I don't know if there's credibility to it or not, but uh, I was wondering, like you said, where were people that experienced something like that? You'd expect somebody else to make, somebody's got to come out and, and tell the truth. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but I usually uh, tend to think that some of those stories are a bit overblown. They seem the more sensational they seem, the less likely they probably are to be true, at least the way I see things. Um, not to say that, you know, there aren't sensational Bigfoot encounters that really leave a mark on somebody's, uh, you know, psyche or, or just, you know, even uh, you know, people that have hunted that don't ever want to go back in the woods or to a certain area again because of what they saw. I mean, nothing can really prepare you for that, Ooh. but that's, but there's, that's, but that's... there's some interesting stuff for sure when it comes to uh, the, the government cover up sort of stuff. I, 
I just wonder about because um, it seems to me, you know, the large overarching conspiracy seems kind of weird for something like Bigfoot. Um, whether or not that would be true or not, I, I don't know. But uh, I don't know. I don't I, I don't lean towards there being a huge government conspiracy. And every time someone sees a Bigfoot, they're sending men in black or whatever. I think the media does a good enough job of making this topic look kind of silly. So most people don't even think about this Sasquatch topic or consider it real. Most of society still considers Sasquatch to be, you know, one creature that's basically like the Santa Claus or Easter bunny in that sort of realm, which obviously those of us that are into this stuff, it's kind of a ridiculous uh, and, and frankly pretty dumb sort of assumption, but that's just generally what people think about this topic. So uh, again, they're not, Im they're not immersed. They don't hear a lot of the stories. They don't talk to the witnesses. They don't you know, have the, their own experiences. They're mostly just relying on what somebody in this case, the media is telling them about a subject, which is, Oh, people that are in Bigfoot are all, you know, weird drunk hicks and, you know, people out doing drugs in the woods. And that's the kind of thing when there's scientists, there's um, police, there's plenty of very credible people that have had Bigfoot experiences, a lot of which don't want anything to do with the topic because they've been ridiculed, you know, for their either research or for their experience. So, uh, it's a very interesting kind of uh, kind of topic and the way it breaks down in how society views it and how people that have had these experiences go about kind of dealing with it. Exactly. I mean, well, I mean, you mentioned Grover Krantz and it's funny because his his I actually listened to a podcast his niece does called Wild Thing. Yeah, I've heard and, it. And, and the first whole season is about Sasquatch and like the different studies of it and she mentions her uncle a lot in it, apparently, obviously, but, and it's, I don't know. I mean, Bigfoot is one of those things that I've believed in for decades now, and I can't shake my belief of it. No one can convince <laughs> me it's not a real thing out there because there's just too many stories. I say it's about a lot of different creatures, but even if 80% of the stories are, are made up, that's still a lot of stories. Like, that's yeah. still a lot of tales. Like, and, I mean, and the Native Americans had legends of trading with hairy men tribes who would come down from the mountains and trade with them and then go back up to the mountain. So, yeah, that right there. Interesting stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those topics that I think there's so many jumping off points. That's what I love about it is, you know, you're looking at something like other cryptids, whether it's the Lake Champlain monster or you know, something that's aquatic or more focused on one region, right? Where it just occurs in that one place. Whereas the Bigfoot, Sasquatch, you know, mystery hominid topic, you have stories from around the world and especially North America. You've got wherever you go, pretty much you can find some sort of local story, whether it's the Wood Devils of New Hampshire or the Skunk Ave of Florida or the Falk Monster of Arkansas, the, the Hairy Man of Kenai Peninsula of Alaska or the the Skookum of Washington, the Oma of Northern California. I mean, the list goes on, whether it be native folklore or settler or modern cultural folklore, the Durham gorilla, you know, the Winstead wild man, the list goes on for names for regional, strange, hairy man, ape-like creature kind of reports that happen from across North America. You can go in a lot of places that if they have a good wooded environment, there's probably a chance there's been a Bigfoot sighting or two, which is pretty interesting, you know? So that's the thing. What's so great about this topic is it's, pretty expansive when compared to other more you know geographically centered cryptids you have you know, the otang of south africa the yeti of the himalayas the orang pendek of sumatra which may be some other kind of creatures it's pretty small the yaoi of australia i mean there's so many of these stories 
uh, the Almasti, Almas in Russia and other places, Siberia and East and parts of East Asia. So there's just a lot, a lot to this topic. I think that's why it attracts the most attention when it comes to cryptids. Um, there's nothing that really is as popular as Bigfoot. I mean, Nessie is well known, but not nearly as many people looking for it. It's it's in one geographic area, whereas you know, you've even got in the UK people claiming there's Bigfoot over there. And is that just a product of kind of cultural imagination or wanting to have something like that there? Um, I don't know. But again, it just shows how popular that topic is and how widespread it seems to be, whether that's actually the case. You know, there are Sasquatches all over the place or it's just there's Sasquatches all over the place in the human psyche. You know, maybe I've even postured, uh, you know, kind of thought about the topic of uh Maybe there's just Sasquatch in certain areas in North America, you know, the Appalachian mountain chain down into the Southern Florida and in the swamps down there and in the South. Then of course the Rocky mountains, the Pacific Northwest, those are the primary areas where something like a Sasquatch would probably biologically thrive. So, you know, why is it that people are reporting it in, you know, more urban or suburban kind of areas and they're not seeing it in downtown Brooklyn, but you know, in areas you wouldn't really expect something like a Sasquatch to exist. Maybe that's just people wishful thinking. They want something like that to be there so bad that it ends up there. Whereas, you know, maybe it's more confined to other more biologically conducive areas. I mean, I've seen some hairy, hairy Italian men in Brooklyn. I'll tell you different. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, there's Sasquatch, there's versions of a Sasquatch in every country on earth. I, I posted in my group on Facebook like a while ago, um, it, like a show different faces of all the different versions of Bigfoot in Asia, Africa. And I've talked to European paranormal investigators and they do say that they go and look at cases where people report seeing like a Bigfoot. So, I mean, I believe it's a worldwide phenomenon. There may be different styles of Bigfoot around the world that look different because of where they evolved, but it's a worldwide phenomenon in my mind. It's not just certain parts of the united states it's got to be worldwide because we were once one giant continent and i'm sure these things walked across the whole thing just like humans did eventually so who knows but before we wrap up and i like because i do want well two things sure what do you think of the paris and gimlin film i have to ask anybody who's in the bigfoot about this because i believe it's fully real not a hoax, not a hoax but a lot of people disagree with that yeah, that's a good question. Well, you know, that's a really tricky one. I, I'll say kind of my take overall is that if it's real or not at this point, I don't think it matters. And that may be kind of, I don't know, some people see that as controversial, but the film is over 50 years old at this point. We can't prove it or disprove it. Essentially, we're kind of stuck in limbo. Clearly, it's not enough to demonstrate that something like a Sasquatch is real. So even if it is legitimate, we're going to need more than that to, to do it. So I think it's a great thing. It got a lot of people into Bigfoot, um, but I don't think it's going to further, you know, we, we've, it's been stabilized and there's been so much work done to it. I don't know what else can be done to it uh, that, that can prove one way or another, which I think is unfortunate, but uh, we're going to need more than that. Repeatable instances of video of that quality or better, uh, including, you know, obviously a body would, would, shut down all questions as we talked about earlier, but uh, let's say you're able to get, you know, extremely high quality video, couple that with DNA evidence and other, you know, types of evidence that would maybe make a whole more holistic kind of picture. Is that possible? I don't know. Um, obviously any video or photo you get nowadays is going to be under extreme scrutiny because you can fake 
so much more easily than they could have in 1967 when the footage was taken. Now, I will say, you know, that's my kind of prefacing with it, that I don't think whether it's real or not at this point, I don't think it matters. I don't know if we're ever going to conclusively get to the bottom of it. Um, you know, even if Bob Gimlin or somebody else involved was, was you know, like Bob Hieronymus claimed was the man in the suit. Very dubious story doesn't seem to match up right. Even if Bob Gimlin tomorrow was to admit it was a hoax. I mean, you, you don't know whether or not he's just saying that or not. Maybe, maybe it's the truth. Maybe it's not. But I don't think it would sway people the other one way or another. But personally, I think I do lean more towards it being real because of, uh, you know, especially some of the enhancements that have been done that show certain body parts and movements that I just really struggle to imagine they would have been able to do in 1967 in the middle of nowhere, California, uh, when Planet of the Apes and other, you know, 2001 Space Odyssey, other films really their costume work was pretty primitive at the time and you had folks that were involved in those productions oh. that said they wouldn't have been able to make a suit this well and i will say one thing that definitely changed a little bit of my opinion on that was going to bluff creek last summer we were there filming bigfoot beyond the trail and we actually spent a night sleeping on at, at where the patterson gimlin film happened so right where patty walked is where we camped uh, we spent a week out there in the bluff creek region which to this day is actually more remote than it was in the 1960s uh, because, you know, in the 1950s, they started punching logging roads through that area of Northern California. It was completely untouched. One of the last unspoiled wilderness areas anywhere uh, aside from in Canada and Alaska in North America, where people had not really pushed into. It was extremely remote. They had started pushing these, these logging roads in and logging the, the humongous Douglas fir trees in there. And that's where that original sort of Bigfoot name came from where those tracks were found and the, the construction or the, the logging crews there in the 19, late 1950s, eventually, you know, leading to footprint finds from that region and then the Patterson Gimlin film. Uh, but at that time it was more accessible because you had those newly built logging roads to get in there. It's still a haul. I mean, to this day, like I said, it's very remote. It's, you know, two plus hours of driving from the nearest small kind of town, which would be Willow Creek, essentially a uh, very remote, if you have roads out there that when trees get in the way, you can get stuck. You could fall off a cliff in your car and you're gone. Um, and when we were driving out there, the Patterson-Gimlin film site, the, the, where you drive down to park your car to actually start the hike down to where the film site is, where you have to hike basically down the side of a, a hill and then across a river multiple times and then get to the other bank from where uh, this this park, the, the car park is just like a little dirt berm. There was a tree in the way, so we couldn't actually get out there. You know, we had to wait for somebody with a chainsaw to come down so we could even get to the film site. So I don't see why they would have gone all the way out there to film it when they could have just as easily had filmed it right outside of Willow Creek or right out right off the main road near where you turn to go off into Bluff Creek. They could have filmed it somewhere on there, and I don't think people would have been really able to tell the difference of how remote it would have looked. You know, That would have been logistically easier to hoax than – going into a, even then, fairly remote area. Yes, the roads were probably a little better than they are now because they've been sitting there for 50 plus years and they're very lightly maintained by the Forest Service. Um, you know, why they would go to that length to go out there. So I do lean towards it being real. I mean, there's that possibility that's not, of course. There's obviously a lot of pros and cons to the Patterson-Gillen film, but that's sort of my, my long answer is, you know, starting with, I don't think it's really going to matter at this point. We need more further evidence to prove Sasquatch definitively. Um, and uh, I do lean towards it being real. I mean, just based on some of the things I've seen and, and how remote the film site still is. And we had some weird experiences happen out there. And, and it's so fast. And we're talking millions of acres of 
wilderness where no one lives to this day. And most of the year, the road to Bluff Creek and the Patterson Gimel film site is blocked off by the National Forest Service. So you can't even get into these areas. So something were to still live out there, they would have a very easy time to avoid humans. I mean, we have a couple of roads and a couple of camps that are in that area and that's it. Nothing. I mean, you, you fly your drone up there. You want to talk about isolation, sitting on the side of a cliff and just looking out into endless forest that when was the last time somebody just said, I'm going to hike out into this direction? It, really, you don't know because it's probably hasn't been years. So uh, it's extremely remote. So definitely going to the film site changed my view of the overall film. I mean, I was, I was always a little more on the leaning towards it being real side, but uh, I'd well, say a, a little more now. The, the needle has moved a little bit more after being there. I forget who it was exactly I talked to about this. It was, it was in the last few weeks I talked to somebody on my show about this. And I, that's if it's who I if who I think it was like he's in like Hollywood and he's in like movie making and he said like I mean they couldn't even today they couldn't make a suit that when someone walked in it would show the muscles in the legs like flexing like that creature does in that video when it's walking. Well, no and, one's able been able to really recreate it to a T, which I would think we'd be able to at this point. Um, you know, really recreate it, but nobody really has gotten I mean, there. I mean, look at Harry and the Hendersons in like the 80s, like yeah. the crappy Bigfoot suit they made for that movie. And you think they're going to have that good a Bigfoot suit in the 50s, 60s? Like, yeah, yeah no, no I mean, there's some great Bigfoot suits now, like on the film Exists by um, Eduardo Sanchez, I believe, who did Blair Witch Project. I mean, that's one of the best Bigfoot suits out there. There's some great Bigfoot suits nowadays, but you know, again, you're talking about, the, you know, the 21st century, not 1967. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do I do think it's interesting. Again, it's not definitive, but, uh, you know, a lot of people claim to be in the suit. I, I, yeah. No one's been able to demonstrate, you know, have that exact suit. I imagine if somebody claims they were able to make that suit in the 60s, they would be able to then recreate it and make that same sort of suit. Unless it was a one hit wonder. I mean, it's almost a more interesting story how these guys they did hoax it, managed to figure out how to uh, create something that good that's still 50 plus years later fooling people in terms of, you know, not being able to determine its authenticity or not. Exactly. Exactly. But why don't you tell people about your podcast before we wrap it up? Yeah, so I have a show. I don't really do it that often anymore, but it's called Sasquatch Out of the Shadows. Uh, it's a YouTube channel that I do talk a lot of Bigfoot encrypted stuff and it used to be a sort of Monday weekly scheduled show, but haven't been doing a little bit. I've been a little bit busy with some of the small town monster stuff. So that's most of what, if people want to find out uh, about me or some of my other work, petakovmedia.com. That's P-E-T-A-K-O-V media.com. It's got links to everything, including our Bigfoot Beyond the Trail series, which is obviously pretty, um, you know, pretty expansive. We've covered a lot of different topics and that's, you know, a lot of documentaries that you can watch on YouTube on the small town monsters channel. We've got, I think up to 20 at this point from all over the U S and all over North America. We've really gotten out there into the field in some of these pretty amazing places and interviewed a lot of interesting folks and had some interesting stuff happen, but uh, you decide for yourselves, watch our stuff and, and make up your own minds. Exactly. That's the best thing you can do is just watch it yourselves, people, and try to form your own opinions and hypothesis and see what happens. You might agree with us eventually, but <laughs> I want to thank Alexander for coming on because it's been an amazing episode. 
it's so rare I get a full hour just to talk about Bigfoot. So <laughs> truly, appreci- well, truly appreciate Yeah, thanks for having me on. Not a problem. And for all my listeners, you know where you can find me. And I will see you in half a week. And all my watchers, I'll have I'll be back tomorrow with DA Roberts from the North American Dog Man. I always North American Dog Man. The P always freaking throws me. <laughs> I don't know why. But from the NADP uh NADP. Thank you and have a good night. <laughs>